Hey everybody and welcome. You are listening to Lox LaRue's Locker Room. Join me each episode with a different special guest. We'll be breaking the locks off toxic masculinity one locker at a time. On this episode, I'm joined by the tantalising and tasteful Tempest Rose. Tempest is a burlesque performer and host. They are a pioneer, producer and creative director, as well as leading House of Burlesque. Today, we talk about what it's like being a female burlesque host and performer amongst a male crowd, as well as how toxic male behaviour can be commented on through burlesque, whether it be comical, political or both. Please note that the conversations between me and my guests are purely based on our own thoughts and experiences. Now, with all that in mind, sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. And just before we start, here is the lesson in masculinity 101. Victorian burlesque was popular in London theatres from the 1830s to the 1890s. It took well-known culture like opera or Shakespeare and parodied it. The Victorian burlesque style was taken to New York in the 1840s. It was later popularised in 1868 by Lydia Thompson's visiting dance troupe, the British Blondes. Their burlesque shows were focused on parody elements performed by a female cast. Their first success in New York was with Ix Iron in 1868, a female-run production that showed underdressed, attractive women mimicking patriarchs' roles. Hello everyone, you are listening to Lox LaRue's Locker Room. Today I've got a really special guest with me, they're such a superstar. I have got the tantalising, tasteful and talented Tempest Rose. Hi everybody. Hi love. Hi. I was thinking of throwing in since I was going in with the theme of teas, tosser in there, but I don't think you'd appreciate that, would you, Tempest? <laughs> well, at least it gave me a good giggle, babe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um I want to for the audience members who are not familiar with your work, um, firstly, shame on you. Um, but secondly, <laughs> um, could you tell us a bit about your background just as a performer? And tell us a bit more about Tempest Rose herself. Yeah, absolutely. So I found burlesque totally by accident in 2007. It's probably one of the best accidents of my whole life. Um, But I come from a performing background. So I had studied musical theatre and classical acting. And so obviously dance, singing, um, and in general, just quite a creative person. So burlesque, I fell in love with because not only is it incredibly multifaceted, it's incredibly hands-on creative, uh, which I'm sure, you know, some of your listeners will be familiar with and you yourself know so if you're somebody who just likes pulling together lots of different types of disciplines and has this sort of swirling creative energy burlesque is a great outlet as a performance art so I started in a troupe called the Kitten Club in London uh, London's longest running modern day troupe at the time and uh, they were a very old school or British burlesque we might call style troupe so lots of singing dancing comedy satire some striptease but um, it wasn't as dominant as is normally associated with burlesque and then from there I thought saw this acting thing because I was an actor at the time this is so much better and so I really just got lost in this wonderful rabbit hole of burlesque that led me to solo work I was fortunate enough to go to the burlesque hall of fame to perform in 2010 and uh travel um and go to edinburgh and take a show there i started comparing because i enjoyed talking to the audience and obviously i had a singing background as well and i like sort of witty banter and improv when you grow up with two older 
savage sisters you learn very quickly how to bounce back verbally um and so comparing and then I got the opportunity I well I started putting on small shows myself and then I got the opportunity to work with another performer called Lola LaBelle on this project called House of Burlesque which has dominated my life for the past uh, 11 12 oh maybe 13 years now um and so that's where I've ended up uh still performing uh comparing singing but also producing teaching mentoring House of Burlesque is is basically a microcosm of the burlesque industry in one company I guess that's me <laughs> amazing <laughs> I love all of that and I do love House of Burlesque as well whenever I'm in London I've always got to see one of your shows and I'm never disappointed thank you so yeah we're gonna speak about on today's episode a bit about one of um, House of Burlesque shows politics so I wanted to talk about how politics came about with regards to how you decided to think oh I want to put on this show and sort of the background behind that as well as what you sort of put into the shows as well for those who don't know so politics evolved out of two strands I guess the first one is um it's very connected to how I started in burlesque in terms of the type of shows that we were doing and the kitten club which I mentioned earlier really paid homage to this idea of British burlesque you know we did a song each week called Kitten Club News Network, which was a rewrite of an old musical theatre song updated of what was going on in the news each week. And it was very, very topical. And I really missed that because I started in 2007. So when I created politics last year, gosh, 14 or 13 years later, there wasn't really anything like that. We had burlesque acts that were comments on society, but we didn't really have a burlesque show that looked at the news day to day and went... <laughs> <laughs> what can we do it is a pile of rubbish and also it's a bit of a personal outlet really because the news is kind of awful at the moment and it's overwhelming and everything can feel dark and heavy and you know when I was making 2.0 we just had Brexit Trump had just been elected president <laughs> and I remember thinking oh I don't know what to do with a show that is a commentary on contemporary society which is supposed to be entertaining and this is what's going on then of course we had the pandemic um and so it, it, it it's again my sort of way of processing through humor and connection everything that's around us and that's the other sort of drive firstly to to bring back to your attention the fact that burlesque has these roots. This is what burlesque is and was. And secondly, hey, everything's pretty sucky at the moment. Can we have some kind of artistic outlet where we can boo and hiss and laugh and also think about everything that's going on in a space that is, um, you know, for want of a better word, safe at the end of the day? it's a burlesque show you can leave it ends in none of it's real we're just showgirls we don't make policy we don't run government uh, it's just us having a bit of a laugh and and saying hey you know uh, let's process this however we can maybe with some crystals on it <laughs> yeah I definitely think um it's really important the work that you do for politics and in general and I think um my my favorite kind of I don't know about you my favorite kind of performance is um something that's entertaining mixed with um like a message or a clever clever narrative behind it I think that's um 
one of my favourites when people can manage to achieve to do that. Um, and just before we move on to the next topic, I did want to ask you about the group number at the end, because obviously where it's like poking fun at politicians. Um, so how did um, that idea come about? And could you tell us a, a bit more about that? And do you mean hands to myself number in the mask? Yes, yes. That's, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's been kind of a long time dream of mine. For some reason, that song really hit me about, well, in 2017 or 16, because I wanted to put it into 2.0. And I don't know why, because it's kind of a slightly nothingy song, to be honest. It's catchy. It's like this little kind of Bobby Selena Gomez song. It's not particularly deep. It's not particularly clever. Um, And you just, you know, as a performer, something will just get in your ear and you'll just get a bit obsessed with it. And I wanted to put it in 2.0. And I at the time, what I wanted to do was do a little row of dancing trumps <laughs> to it. And the co-producer I had at the time, because 2.0 was a massive show and we were working with like, you know, huge venues and digital graphics and stuff. And, and for the most part was very supportive. But I don't know, you get you get funny about your own ideas, don't you? And you, you can't tell whether they're good or not. And then you get paranoid and you think, oh, it's a crap idea. And, and they weren't immediately enthusiastic about this idea. And I was like, oh, maybe that's really basic. That's, oh, it's a horrible idea. I don't know why I thought for a minute. I thought that would be funny. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. It's a bit obvious, isn't it? So I shelved that version of it and did a completely different act to that song for a few years. Um, and then when politics comes around, I was like, actually, that was a really fucking good idea. Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> amazing that was a really fucking good idea and I'm annoyed with myself I didn't stand up for that creative instinct so um politics was the perfect time to explore the idea again so that's why in the first few versions of the show we did a uh, Bootsy and Bonnie Knockers did a consent act which was a great segue into Donald Trump as a character and I thought well let's not just have Donald Trump let's have in the sleezers of the week um but also extended the idea of can't keep your hands to myself to keep you know taking other people's data taking other people's money taking other people's property so it became this thing whereby every show we would reflect what was going on in the news with the characters in the in the act um, and, you know, it's had its controversies. We put Putin in very, very early on into the invasion of Ukraine. And that necessitated a lot of discussion amongst a cast of whether we thought that was appropriate or not. Uh, at the moment, we're doing the Tory leadership campaign. Um, you know, often we're dealing with horrible characters. Prince Andrew, Tim Westwood, you know, these are people who are, uh, you know, accused of and guilty of some of our characters, horrible, horrible things. So, yeah, they sort of live within the world of the sat. But I feel like laughing at horrible people <laughs> is important. I'm not sure if that's the right word. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I, I really love that act and just the whole show in general. And I think it's clever and really like makes it a fun, great experience that you've added like, you know, like up to date news parts as well. So like it really adds to that live experience and keeps it fresh. And I really like that. Um, so moving on to I could talk about politics all day but um moving on to um the next um on the agenda um I've wanted to talk a bit about um hosting and I know we spoke a bit about reactions and stuff so if we kind of focus on men of course um so, (laughs) so um when when with hosting then and dealing with like say men or stag do's um or just 
um, dealing with the male gaze in general. I was wondering whether you could talk about how you find that firstly and how you've come to command the crowd and sort of like I guess it ties in again with that idea of entertaining slash educating because I obviously came to see Speakeasy and I really enjoyed that but I was really impressed with how you made it entertaining but also managed to educate um, a drunk of like rowdy men I was like that is like gold dust really so I was wondering if you could talk a bit about that. Oh, it's an amazing question. And I'll try not to spiral off into lots of different tangents because it's a really meaty topic, isn't it? Yeah. And um, there's so much going on, I think, you know, on stage, you know, interacting with patriarchy, with groups of men, different types of men, as a woman and myself, obviously, talking from my own experience. Um, I, I, I think a lot of it's connected to, firstly, when you grow up as a woman, you like I talk about my gypsy speech, you, you learn that your, your body and your status in society's perceptions of what's attractive means what power you have. And I, I think that's getting better now, but that's certainly my experience. I'm turning 40 as I won't stop telling you all soon. (laughs) So this is based on my age as well. And, you know, it's a double-edged sword because it's very exciting at first that you're being paid attention to by men and, you know, powerful men and older men and you feel special and you feel, you know, like you have a power. But then do you get any more experience? You have you realize the what comes of this power? Um, and, you know, it's not it's not given without burden. And, you know, we could talk about that for hours. So I'm going to park that there, acknowledging that there's a lot to unpack in what I've just said. So part of coming into a world like burlesque, firstly, I really enjoyed that my my kind of inherent sexiness wasn't being used against me, which it was in lots of other parts of performing and society. This was something where people are like, oh, you're sexy. We love this rather than, oh, can you tone it down a little bit? This is getting a bit much. You're far too sexy. It's gross. Go away. Um, so, you're sort of, so there are all these little things. So so coming into a space like burlesque where your sexiness could be a power that wasn't used against you, but has taught you in a way how to manipulate certain groups of people is what translates sometimes well to hosting. That's my thread. And it's about learning, well, hosting like lots of other jobs causes you to kind of stereotype people quickly. And obviously that's not, there are negatives to that, but when you have to read rooms full rooms full of people quickly, you default to certain behavioral traits. And so when dealing with men, if I look at an older group of men, I feel like I'm in pretty safe territory because for the most part, because they're older, particularly if you're a stereotypical old rich white man, <laughs> I know that he's moving through the world with a with a certain amount of ease and confidence. So I can rip the piss out of him. <laughs> and for the most part, they'll laugh and go along with it because I don't really represent any kind of threat to them, which is a shame. <laughs> but it's also, you know, a, a vehicle to take, not take these people down a peg or two. You know, you've got to do this with a wink and a smile of the audience. But I know I'm on fairly solid ground there and can actually push my bants quite far. And hopefully along the way, make some points and, you know, slide in some little educations here and there through the medium of burlesque. Dealing with younger men, I find much trickier because, and again, I'm using a generalization for a huge group of people. But if you think of like your younger stereotypical, more kind of lads, 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 guys, that's always a much harder read because they 
will come with their own you know they're still working out who they are they're still working out who they are in this world they're still carrying quite a lot of insecurities and they're carrying a lot of kind of toxic masculinity and they don't they don't have maybe the internal confidence to to not be so swayed about how how their ego feels that's what I'm trying to say so in a performance environment for me I find them much harder to deal with because they're not going to react with the same level of humor to a lot of the bands that I would apply to let's say you know a different age group a different type of group of guys so it's it's tricky because at the end of the day though you're whoever you are you're coming into our world and you're coming as a guest but like any good hostess, it's my job to make you feel comfortable. You know, even if I've had to be quite savage with a group who are, you know, getting a bit out of hand or being a bit rude or kind of being impolite within a performance space, as long as they haven't done anything awful that we would ask them to leave. Um, whenever I give them a little verbal smackdown, I always give them a little verbal kiss and a cuddle after <laughs> just to know it's a bit like dealing with kids, you know, like you've been bad. So I'm making a joke and everyone's had a little laugh that you're still right. You're still you're still part of the gang, but don't step out of fucking line again basically and so it's this sort of like hostess slash almost like parental thing isn't it where you've got to be like no no you've crossed a boundary now but as long as you stick within the rules of the game um you can still be part of the gang but how you approach that with different groups of people is is very different through my experience and again like I would never take the piss out of a room full of women you can get groups of women who behave badly at shows you've got to deal with that in a completely different way as a woman myself and again it depends how you know what your identity is and who you're dealing with at the time um that's very rambly so I'm not sure if that's actually answered anything that you asked me <laughs> but no it, it's something <laughs> it definitely has and I've, I've picked up two points from that because um, I want to make sure we've got time to talk about your gypsy act before we finish. But let's just carry on for a tiny bit with um, two points. So um, I wanted to comment on, do you know, the younger lads? Because it, it made me think, actually, at school, as an example, when there was like a female teacher, maybe, or sort of like a feminine, uh, this is quite sound stereotypical, male teacher. I feel like the lads would mess around more. Not always, but I feel like there was more pressure for maybe the female teachers or maybe the feminine men to sort of have, they have to be one step ahead. And there's like this higher expectation. So that's the first point I was wondering, do you think that could be maybe similar to hosting? Obviously, I can't speak from a female perspective, but I don't know, is it, do you think it's that thing you have to be one step ahead or maybe that's um, a random point? No, I think you have to be one step ahead. And I think like a teacher, you, you have to balance how you discipline, for want of a better word, your students. Um, because at the end of the day, a teacher wants the students to learn and we want our audiences to, you know, <laughs> come away with a great experience, having perhaps learned you know, a little bit about how you should behave in a performance space. And I think both misbehaviors come from the same root. And, and part of it is, I think, some young men are taught or, or, you know, patriarchy and toxic masculinity teaches that you should center yourself in the space all the time. And I think it's very difficult for some men to come into a space like a burlesque show of a female host and accept that it's not about you. <laughs> you are a guest. You're a, you're a passenger. Yeah. This isn't about you. And that I've even noticed with men coming in to our friendship group at House of Burlesque, you know, people's partners and stuff. And it, 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 there's a similarity there. And so I, I do, uh, yeah, I think the, you know, there's something definitely in what you've said about this idea of like, 
having to step up, having to challenge, having to, you know, and then you having to rise to that, but do it in an appropriate way. Yeah, that made some interesting points as well there. And one last thing quickly then, um, although this might open like a, um, a can of worms, but I was thinking um, you mentioned about the group of women and also, um, do you know, how sometimes being received well by men. I was wondering, this might sound like I'm pitting women against each other, but I wonder whether does this create a bit of jealousy, do you think, from female audience members or am I, do you think that's a random um, thought as well that I've just or do you think that is the case sometimes um I uh I think you've hit on a really interesting topic um uh, and let me answer this succinctly definitely sometimes I never have an issue that I'm aware of with female audience members feeling strange about how we interact with male audience members of the show um because that dynamic I think is pretty obvious that women are on top but you will get and particularly in more private events and corporate environment, because again, not everybody's paid and bought a ticket to come and watch the show. They're just kind of being given this performance. Some women struggle also for different reasons with the idea of seeing an empowered woman on the stage who is taking up space and combining that with sensuality and sexuality and eroticism. Um, and it's very difficult for them and they get in their feelings about it. And that's, again, because of how we've all been brought up. I don't think that's an inherent female trait. I think inherently women want to support each other, but we've been pitted against each other because that's how patriarchy works. So, yes, that does come up. Sometimes I say more so in a, a corporate environment where people haven't, the individual hasn't chosen to go and see a burlesque show necessarily. Yeah, well, thank you for answering that. And um, just to finish off, I know we haven't got much time, um, but I just wanted to briefly touch on your Gypsy Act, um, whether you could briefly describe a bit about it and also any points that you think could be relevant to this discussion before we um, sign off for today. Uh, yeah, well, when you um, when we were initially talking about what we were going to discuss today, uh, I thought Gypsy might be an interesting thing to throw into the mix. So those of you who don't know, I have a act based on Gypsy Rose Lee's gimmick of doing a striptease whilst talking. So I'm doing a striptease whilst talking about her act, what it meant at the time and what it means now. So it's 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 long. It's like 12 minutes <laughs> when I used to do it. And the thing that used to fascinate all of us is how some people would find listening to a woman talk on stage for 12 minutes the striptease element happens but it's obviously a kind of it's happening sort of on the peripheries of the act and it's all blended together so there isn't a lot of visual other than that so you have to listen to what I'm saying and what I'm talking about is my experience of growing up as a woman and dealing with how I've been taught to view my body and my sensuality and, and how that's affected my place in society and how burlesque has helped me unpack that. And um, it's so funny, like you would not believe the amount of men who absolutely must pee <laughs> at that moment in the show when we used to do it um, or must have a cigarette or must refresh their glasses. And straight after that number, we had a big group number. And so a most of the house of burlesque were waiting by the doors out to the bar in the bathrooms. And so they would just glower <laughs> for fun at these people coming out. And it was just a really interesting exercise in people's reactions because what I learned was 
it didn't really even matter what I was talking about. It's just the fact that you bought a ticket to watch a burlesque show where you expected girls to come on stage, shut the fuck up and get their tits out. And what you've got is supposedly a very different show because Warehouse of Burlesque. But secondly, at some point, for 12 minutes, I monologue at you. And um, people, you know, on the flip side, people have said it's, you know, like I have had a lot of love to say for that act. It's one of my signature acts. It's probably going to be the definitive act of my career and set the tone for the rest of the company following that. Um, but uh, I didn't realize that in and of itself would be so disarming and so uncomfortable for certain groups of people. It was quite a fascinating insight. It sounds well. I've actually seen it um, at two point so I really enjoyed it, and I'd love to see it again. Um, thank you. And yeah, thank you for sharing a bit about that and the audience reactions. No, oh, uh, no, just thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure to talk about what we do on this kind of um, with this angle, and to really get into the the meat of some of it. So I'm so appreciative for having me on. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, it's been interesting and really insightful to hear your perspective. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Bye for now. Bye. I would like to thank Tempest for coming onto my podcast today. If you want to catch more of Tempest, then check out their Instagram handle in the episode description. If you do feel like leaving a review, please do so. Thank you for listening to Loxlaroo's Locker Room. And make sure to follow me on Instagram at Loxlaroo. Bye. I know I haven't got time to ask you this now, but I, I wanted to add the point. I wonder whether, obviously, what you said about men thinking it's not about them as well, like thinking it's about them. And also, I don't know whether it's a conditioning thing as well, because obviously men aren't taught about, for example, um, female anatomy at school and stuff like that. So it could, I'm not excusing men, but maybe it's conditioning as well. Or it's mm-hmm. just general being a dick. A dick. <laughs> bit of both maybe (laughs) (laughs) I think it's the conditioning that leads to kind of dickhead behavior really isn't it yeah that's probably a good point to um, end on isn't it so um